Malachi chapter 3. Let's read verses 1 through 6. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and and a purifier of the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may be offered unto the Lord, an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old, as in the former years. And I will come near unto you in judgment, and will be swift witness against the scorners, and against adulterers, and against false swearers, and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, and the widow, and the fatherless, and turn aside the stranger from his right, and fear not me saith the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore the sons of Jacob are not consumed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray you would be with my mind. Uh, Father, help me to structure things in a way that come out uh, clearly. Lord, there's uh, amazing truth here. But Lord, there's also prophecy here. And sometimes when we get into looking into what you have laid out for us to understand about the future, uh, Lord, it can be something that many take to the extreme and, Lord, try to pretend they know everything that's what's coming. Uh, Lord, we don't want to do that this morning. We want to look at your word clearly and uh, get understanding. But, Father, I just pray that uh, you would help us to realize, God, you have always had a plan. Father, there is nothing outside of the realm that you are not guiding, that you do not have your hand on. And Father, I thank you that you have always desired to reach out to mankind to make your message clear. So Father, help us, give us understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We're looking this morning at God's message. So right off the bat, he says, I'm going to send you a messenger uh, uh, to prepare the way, and I'm going to send you a messenger to deliver the message. Okay, that's where we were just reading. So I want us to be clear, just get us some understanding this morning. Hopefully we won't go too long because I don't want to weight us down with too much information. I want us to be able to focus. But there are a few things we need to cover in here just so we can have some understanding. All right, number one. um, I don't know, have you ever felt like um, God is real far away and he's not listening, that uh, there's a time in which you need him and he's not there. Come on, any time like that? Okay, uh, how about uh, 
you ever wish, dude, the guys who were studying uh, the book of Job with us downstairs, Job said quite a few times in his uh, discussions with his friends uh, how much he wished he could just talk to God and get an answer. Right? That God, I wish I could just, you know, even have my day in court. I'd love to know what is going on here. I'd like some insights, Lord. Job said that quite a few times. Well, sometimes we feel like God's not there. Next point here. Have you ever felt like he's not there, not arriving on the time you need him? Um, last one on this page. Have you ever wished God would answer your questions? Why something's happening? Okay, now I want to set this up because remember what's going on. We have gone quite a few years into the future since God delivered the law and since God worked through the children of Israel. And now in Malachi, we're 400 years before Jesus comes. So not too long ago, there's a long stretch. And remember what we have been talking about over and over. God was sharing his frustrations through this prophet Malachi, and it's actually called the burden of Malachi because it's, God's laying out some heavy stuff here. And God says, listen, there's a lot of things that you guys are doing, and I'm not pleased with it. And on the opposite side of things, the people kept saying, like we talked about answering like a teenager, right? God says, you know, you don't love me. And they're like, well, what do you mean we don't love you? And you guys are uh, not treating me like a father. What do you mean we're not treating you like a father? You know, always little excuses, little comebacks. The people had grown frustrated and bored. And remember, we even read the verse in chapter 2 where they said, this is just a weariness. Just keep on serving and serving and serving year after year and after year. Nothing seems to have changed. So you got God on one side going, come on, guys, hang in there. Stay with me. I got a plan. And the people are like, I'm so tired of this. And God's saying, yeah, but your behaviors aren't reflecting. And last week we looked at the fact that, listen, you, you expect to come and give me offerings and blessings and prayers, and I'm not even listening anymore because of the way you guys are acting. Because if you don't understand the importance of this relationship that we have, you're missing the point. Now, come on, I'm going to remind us again about how God puts these pictures in in our lives. Um, How many of you watch young couples who are just first dating, and it's almost sick how sweet they are to each other? Come on, you're like, oh! Okay. I got to be careful. My brother might listen to this, but my brother is newly engaged. Now, he's three years younger than me, but he's newly engaged. And, oh, babe, oh, babe, oh, up, 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 up. Okay. And, and uh, watching these young couple, I just got a chance a couple weeks ago to do a wedding of a young couple in their 20s and just like, oh, you know, pitter patter, pitter patter, pitter patter. On the opposite end of that, I see some of these old couples who've been married forever who are happier being in two different rooms all day than they are being together. And it's not just couples in this relationship. You know what amazes me? Uh, my children, I love them, um, but I, we would meet up with neighbors or fr- uh, you know, their friends, parents, or even school teachers and just say, your kids are so helpful 
they come to the house, they do this, they do that, they're just so polite and all this. And I have to open my wallet and show a picture. This child? This one? Why, yes. It's so. And you know what happens? When they're out with other people, they act well, but when they come home where they're used to mom and dad and the siblings, guess what happens? Those relationships get old and get boring and they treat each other kind of awful, don't they? Where you're like, my kids are being nice and polite and friend and, and help. You know, one of the parents, one of my son's friend's parents said, yeah, if I asked him to dig a swimming pool in the yard with a spoon, he would do it. I'm like, I can't get him to pick up a sock at home. But what happens is we grow comfortable with our relationships. Then we grow complacent with our relationships. And then all of a sudden the relationship is there, but it's pretty boring, isn't it? Pretty old. Now again, this isn't even a message about relationships. That one's coming next week. Okay, no. Listen. This is what was happening. This is exactly why God gives us human relationships because he is so interested in picturing the relationship with him. And the children of Israel had gotten complacent. Kind of got old hat. Just been doing this for so long, Lord. Why? Why are we still doing it? Why? What's the purpose? What's the reason? Every year, day after day after day, Lord, I'm doing the stuff that you asked. And God jumps in in chapter 3 after chewing him out out of, of a few things. Remember, he said, I, you oppressed me so much, it's like you got dung smeared all over your face. Remember that one? Okay, well, God changes tunes here for a second because he's not a God who's always complaining about our behavior. He wants us to live a certain way to reflect who he is as his children, just like the children of Israel here. But God brings it back around to the importance here. And he says, listen, um, I know it's been a while, but I've got a plan. Now listen to this first verse again, because he centers it right back to where every one of us need to remember where we are. Behold, I will send my messenger... Now, that may not make sense to you, but God, listen to what God, he's saying, listen, don't get bored. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Don't under, I will send my messenger. Okay, he will prepare the way, and then the Lord, and if you take those parenthetical phrases out of it, it says, he shall come. God saying, listen, guys, I know it's been a while. I understand you're walking this day after day, but I got a plan. And I'm going to send a messenger. Now, I want to go ahead and make sure I got uh, my notes here. don't want to jump ahead of myself. Go ahead, next slide. God has a plan, and he's always had a plan. He reaches out to mankind continuously. He has never hidden himself. And this is the one thing that we talk about it in Romans where it says, there is none that seeketh after God. God has always been the one seeking. He has always brought his word, his message. He is trying his best to communicate with every single person on this planet what he is doing. God has never stepped back and said, you know what? (laughs) Let's play hide and seek and see if they can find me. God has always made his message clear. 
All right. He makes himself known, but in his way. Keep that in mind. He may not be there when you think he should be, but he's always right on time. I like that phrase. I got to remind myself that often. He may not get there when we think he should, but he is always right on time. He never goes, oops, I'm running late. He always does what he says he's going to do, exactly when he says he's going to do it, the way he wants to do it. Right? You with me? This is important. We understand this. All right, next slide. You remember this story of Lazarus? Go to John. John chapter 11. Now, we're not going to read this whole passage. I've broken it down to a certain points. But there are so many times in the Bible that God has uh, given us examples of this. You get uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego right in the fiery furnace. and I mean, God over and over and over continues to move exactly when he said he wanted to move. Um, John chapter 11, right? So the story here is, next part of the slide, God's timing, right? Lazarus is sick, very badly sick. Matter of fact, dying sick. All right, verse 4. And, uh, when Jesus heard that, Jesus heard that, what, that the one you love is sick, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. And after that, he saith to his disciples, let us go into Judea. So Jesus said, okay, he's sick, he's dying. Now Jesus makes this statement, this isn't a sickness unto death, because Jesus knew what his plan was. They didn't know what his plan was, but Jesus knew exactly what his plan was. And Jesus decides and says, you know what? Let's hang around for two days. Now, I don't know about you. And we'll see this in this next verse, verse 21. Um, if my loved one is on his deathbed, time sticking, doctor says he's only got hours to live. I'm wondering, God, what are you doing? Come on, Lord. Right now is time. You ought to be doing something. You ought to be moving. You been there? Come on, maybe not a person on the deathbed, but you ever like, Lord, if you're going to move, this is the time to do it. Right now, <laughs> things, are, things are really bad. Okay, verse 21. Martha meets up with Jesus on the way there and says, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. So, Lord, you know, you, you met, the timing was off. If you'd just been here on time, he wouldn't have died. Look it down to verse, uh, what, 32. Same thing. Mary finally comes around, and Mary, uh, then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother hath not died. Both of them. Lord, if, if, if you'd just come in the time that I thought you should have been here, you could have saved him. Lord, I'm sorry, you were late. You, you, didn't, you didn't show up on time. You know, we waited and we waited. We sent word to you, because if you read the first part of the chapter, Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus. Come on, please, he's sick. Jesus, if you come, we've seen you heal all these people. Please hurry up and get here. And Jesus says, let's hang around for two more days. 
They wanted Jesus there on their timing, didn't they? But Jesus had his own time. Jesus, the Son of God, said, you know what? This isn't a sickness unto death. But wait a minute. (laughs) Didn't Lazarus die? Next part. Not what they expected. Not when they expected. And not how they expected. Look at Jesus, uh, verse 11. These things said he. And after that saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him out of his sleep. And the disciples, uh, then said to the disciples, Lord, if he sleeps, he doeth well. So again, they misconstrued this, just like some false doctrine is misconstrued in the scripture about that word sleeping even today. Okay, the Bible oftentimes when it talks about sleep, talks about somebody who is dead. Okay, even the disciples when Jesus said this. And they said, oh, well, if he's not feeling well, a great nap is good for you. Okay, the other day, I wasn't feeling well. I, decided to, I told my wife, I said, I'm going upstairs to take a nap. I said, I'm not feeling well. That was 6 o'clock at night. I woke up at 9.30 the next morning. Okay, I haven't slept that long in a long time. But you know what? When you're not feeling well, sometimes the best thing for you is go to sleep. So they say, Lord, great. Why are we going to go mess with him if he's taking a nap? Verse 13, how be it? Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking a rest in sleep. And Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go into him. He says, I'm glad that I waited two days. Catch that? I want want you to set that to sink in for just a second. They didn't think he showed up when he should have, yet Jesus in the background going, I'm glad that I didn't show up when you guys thought I should show up. Because I have a bigger plan. I have something better in store. All right, look if you would too to verse, back to verse four. I read it already, but it says, this sickness is not unto death. Oh, Jesus must have screwed up royally here, man. Because it's not, he, he, oh, he lied. It's not unto death, but Lazarus is dead. Oh, Jesus must have messed up big time. Jesus had a better plan. Look at verse 17. And when they came, they found him laid in the grave four days already. So by the time they got the message to him, by the time he waited those two days, now by the time Jesus gets there, He's dead and in the grave for four whole days. But Jesus, if you'd only showed up on time, you could have taken care of this. You're late. You missed the opportunity. Verse 23. Jesus saying to her, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. It wasn't when they expected. It certainly wasn't how they expected. But I like this phrase. It was better than they could have ever expected. Now get that. All this disappointment, all this thing, that they, they're like, oh man, Lord, if you'd have just been here, you don't understand. How, and God says, step back and watch. You don't believe in the resurrection? Yeah, I do. I know, Lord. You promised you taught it all through your word. And he says, yeah, but I am the resurrection. 
Step back and watch. Look at, uh, again, I can't not read this section. We could just go ahead and move on right there, but I got to read this next section. Verse 39. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. For he saith, he's been dead for four days. Jesus said unto her, Say not unto thee, Said I not unto thee, if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took the stone away from the place where he was de- uh, the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said unto the Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I know that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stands by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now, I've got to pause there for a minute. I heard an old preacher friend of mine, when I was still a young teenager, said, if he didn't say, Lazarus, come forth, if he just with a loud voice said, come forth, everybody would have popped up from the grave. Because that's the power of Jesus. But he calls and says, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot, with grave clothes, his faith bound with a napkin, and Jesus said, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen these things which Jesus did believed on him. Now we could go all day looking up tons of passages of Scripture when God showed up right on time. And exactly what God planned was way better than we could have ever desired it. Even though... Daniel in the lion's den. Even though Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, pick your place in the scripture. God, if you just got here when, when, when we needed you, and God says, I got better plans than you'll even imagine. Now please, keep that in mind when we go back to Malachi. Because Malachi, there's this long stretch where it just doesn't seem like God's done anything for a while. And the children of Israel getting complacent, they're just twiddling their thumbs and they're bored to death because they're thinking well yeah sure you say you love us yeah sure we're doing this oh yeah yeah just it's just a weariness lord we can't stand doing this anymore just nothing ever changes and god says uh i got a messenger who's going to bring a message all right next passage here i want to make sure stay on track this passage is one of the most clear in the Bible of the Messianic prophecies. He has three different people in this passage. God the Father who is speaking, God's messenger who prepare the way, and God's Son who will come. The one who's expected. And God is reminding them, listen, I know it's been a long time. I know you're still trudging along and going day by day serving me, but I've got a plan. Trust me. Keep going. So who was the messenger to prepare the way? I told Anna, we've got to kind of cover this because it's, this is a little bit of prophecy. Hang with me for a few minutes as we cover this. But we're talking about Elijah, okay? We're talking about the spirit of Elijah, that one who is going to prepare the way of the Lord. This was fulfilled in a certain person at Jesus' first coming. We'll look at that in a second. And it's going to be fulfilled again at Jesus' second coming. Bear with me. I, I just no, I don't want to skip past this without covering this. Number one, 
Jesus spoke about them. Look at Isaiah chapter 40. We'll go there. First off, Isaiah chapter 40 gives us a familiar passage, especially when we get around Christmas time, we're reminded of this passage. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, but I want you to see this with me together. We'll just cover it very quickly, but... The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight the desert before him, or the, uh, the desert and highway for our God. So this is the prophecy. There is going to be one who comes and says, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Why is it important that we look to that? Good, I'm glad you asked. Go to Matthew. If you're in Malachi, it's not a long term. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, Jesus himself in the scriptures is referencing this, verse 1. In the days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness and said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make, straight his, make his path straight. So we know right here that there was a prophecy of a messenger coming to prepare the way. Isaiah said he's coming to set the stage for the Lord when he gets here. And here in Matthew, we're reminded exactly who this is. You read it with me, right? John the Baptist. Go, if you would, to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus himself. If you have a red-letter Bible, these words are in red. Verse 10. For this is he whom was written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face to prepare the way before the Lord. This is exactly from Malachi. Jesus says, listen, you remember that passage you read in Malachi? This prophecy about a messenger that's going to prepare the way? Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there is not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he is the least in the kingdom of heaven, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, I've got to continue reading that, but I want to put a qualifier there. Notice something. Uh, God is saying, listen, there's nobody better born among women than John the Baptist, but when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, even the least are greater than John. Now, what does that mean? Give you a, just a quick one here. John the Baptist died before the Lord Jesus Christ was uh, buried and rose again before his death, before he shed blood, so he wouldn't qualify as a Christian. Okay, he was still Old Testament in, in the economy. We have something special. We have an, a permanent indwelling Holy Spirit. We have a eternal security given to God. That's why when he says, listen, John was amazing when it comes to a human being walking this planet, but he doesn't even hold a candle to those who will be able to receive Jesus Christ's forgiveness of sin and salvation. Because John didn't have that ability. So there's just a quick here. Why is it, at least in the kingdom of God, John didn't have what you and I have. Now I'm not trying to say that to down John. I'm trying to remind us how special we have it. Amen? John was put to death before the Lord Jesus Christ won the victory over sin. You and I have something special. Uh, we talked about the, this morning, we have the ability to go boldly before the throne of grace. There are so many benefits to what you and I have because of Christ. Anyway, that's a commercial. Jesus is saying, listen, uh, verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence 
and the violent taketh by force. For all things, uh, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if ye will receive it, now listen, if you will receive it, this is Elijah, which was for to come. This is where this gets a little technical, so hang with me a little bit, all right? Jesus himself saying, John the Baptist is the one that was prophesied by Isaiah, is the spirit of Elijah that will come, and if you receive his, this message that he's bringing about your Savior, your Messiah, then this actually is Elijah coming. The problem is, he came into his own, and what happened? His own received him not. Okay, so Jesus is saying, this John the Baptist, this is the voice that crieth out in the wilderness. Jesus says, I've come, but you know what? If you'd receive it, the message, this is, John, this is Elijah. This is the spirit of Elijah. But go, if you would, to verse chapter 17 of Matthew. Chapter 17 of Matthew. And look at verse 10 again, right there, verse 10. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say, that the, uh, say the scribes that Elias must first come? So they know the prophecy. They're saying, listen, if Messiah is coming, it says Elijah, Elias, will first come. But I say unto you, Elias, Elijah is already come, and they knew him not but have done unto him whatever they listed. Likewise shall the Son of Man suffer of them. And the disciples understood that he spoke of John the Baptist. Are you with me so far? I want this to be understood. I wanted to go over this briefly, because if we don't, we'll start scratching our heads. Malachi is making this great prophecy of the coming Messiah the one that you have delighted in, the one who's coming. All this time you've been waiting, trudging through, going, Lord, what are you doing? I'm so weary with this. And God says, listen, I'm keeping my promise. It may not be when you want it, but it's right on time. And God says, listen, the spirit of Elijah, John the Baptist is going to come. He's going to prepare the way. And he did exactly that. And Jesus showed up. And Jesus said, you know what? If you had believed this message, he would have been the spirit of Elijah. But something happens. Keep going. Okay, right at the bottom here. For Je- uh, Go back, sorry. Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming will have the spirit of Elijah there preparing the way of the Lord. Now this is where this gets, I wanted to cover this. I know this is a little deep, but I want to make sure we get this, all right? John the Baptist came, spirit of Elijah saying, prepare the way of the Lord, he's coming. There's something else happening. Jesus is going to come for a second time. Go on to the next slide. Jesus, God, gives us his message. He has a clear plan that the Lord will come. You with me? Now, please don't lose me. This, if circle that in your brain. Stare at it long enough that when you blink, you can still see it. Okay, you ever do one of those games? Okay, this is the point for the whole sermon. He has a message. It's a clear message. The Lord is going to come. All right, keep going. The first time the Lord came meek and lowly to die for our sins. The second time he comes, he comes conquering and judging sin. This is why in the Old Testament prophets didn't get this. The children of Israel still don't get this. We have the blessing of understanding this, and part of that is because of what Peter has said. But listen, we have 
Jesus coming the first time, and Jesus said, listen, if you would have received me as your Messiah, as the conqueror, I would have set up my kingdom right then and there, but the Jews didn't do that. So Elijah comes, Jesus says, he would have been the prophecy of Elijah complete, but not yet. So we know Jesus is coming a second time, and he's not going to be born in a lowly manger. He's not going to come as a helpless infant. He's going to come and arrive as the conquering king. But even at that point, there's going to be an Elijah that prepares his way. Keep going. Look here in 1 Peter. Now, this is where I said, if this seems a little bit brain stretcher for you, don't worry. The prophets of the Old Testament had a hard time with this. Look what it says here in Peter. The prophets were not always sure. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired, searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what, or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. You see those two things? Now Peter says, we understand this, we get it. He said there was a time when Christ would come and he would suffer, and there's a time when Christ will come in his full power and glory. Peter says the prophets didn't get it. They didn't quite understand. They didn't understand that there were going to be two different pieces to his coming. We get that. All right? And notice the two things that he says there. They were worried about what time. Hmm, not came when they thought he would. And they didn't come how they thought he would. But when Jesus finally did come, it was better than they expected because our sins are forgiven. It's awesome, amen? All right, keep going. Malachi, in the, those are the last verses in the book of Malachi. Look what it says. Before the tribulation, this is, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dead, dreadful day of the Lord. When is that? That is when he comes and conquers. That is his second coming when he comes to judge this world. God says, listen, that spirit of Elijah is going to show up again to prepare the way of the Lord. But this isn't his first coming when he came meek and lowly to die for our sins. This is at his second coming when he comes as a conqueror to judge the world of his sin. Same spirit of Elijah, right? Preparing the way. Okay, the second verse here, verse 6. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and turn the children, uh, hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. All right, you with me? That was that. I had to get that covered because we're talking about a messenger. There was a messenger by the name of John the Baptist who prepared the way for Jesus' second coming. There will be a messenger who is here come to prepare the way for Jesus' second coming when he comes as the conquering king. Okay, you with me? All right, move on. God wants his people to understand his desire to deliver them from their sin. He has an amazing, intricate plan. Yet it's so simple. Now I put that on purpose because what we just talked about probably sent some of your brains into a whirl, didn't it? And I prayed at the beginning because do I understand all about the, the prepare ye the way of the Lord and the spirit of Elijah that's coming in the future? Nope. And I won't even pretend to. Because they missed it when John the Baptist was here. Remember what Jesus just said about him? He said, 
Man, they treated him terribly. They didn't know who he was. How are we going to pretend we know exactly what's coming? All I know is God said, I got a plan and I'm working it. I sent John the Baptist before my first coming. There's a spirit of Elijah coming before the second coming. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. But that second coming is that great and dreadful day. But notice, that might be confusing, but here's the part that's not. God has always had a plan to take care of man's sin. Always. Remember that thing I told you to burn it into your brain, that God has always had a message? He has a plan, and he's wanted everybody on this planet to know this plan. So go back to um, Malachi. The children of Israel are tired. They're bored. They're complacent. They're doing this. Year after year, Lord, it's just, just, it's a weariness. And God says, please, don't forget what I'm doing. I am sending the one you've always delighted in, the one who's going to forgive you of your sins. Listen, I'm going to send him right to the temple. He will be the one that you've always waited for. It's just not in your time, it's in my time. Now translate that to today. How many of us are ready to go? How many of us love, man, I, you know, we just talked about God create, uh, made us a place in heaven someday, and we get to rejoice because we're going there. Why, Lord, am I still here? Come on, Lord, are you going to move? And for hundreds of years, we can read books uh, about the old Christians, you know, from years and years ago who thought Jesus would come in their lifetime. And we've heard that preached over and over for hundreds of years that the Lord, I think he's coming back in my lifetime. And listen, I look at the signs around us now and I think he's coming back in my lifetime. But guess what? He may not. But there's a message that everybody needs to hear. That message hasn't changed. That God has sent his son to deal with our sin. He sent him as the sacrifice earlier. He is sending him as the conqueror, maybe soon. That's the point of everything that God says in these first six verses. He says, listen, I'm sending a messenger. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord. And then I'm sending a messenger, an angel, a, a deliverer of the, com- uh, the co- come on, Craig, of the covenant, that one you've delighted in. He's coming. Please don't forget. That is the theme. That is what they were missing. And if we're not careful, that's what we're missing. There is an important message. It hasn't changed one bit. God has always reached out to mankind and said, I can fix your sin problem. Come unto me. Right? Hang with me in that. All right, a little bit and we're done. God prepares us for his coming. There will be... Uh, or who will be ready for his coming. Did you catch this in this verse? It says, Who will abide in the day of his coming, and who shall stand at it when he appeareth? I don't know about you, I'm glad when he's coming, but you know what? I'm not going to be able to stand before the Lord. When he comes, I'm falling flat on my face where everybody else is going to be. Why? Because two things he said in these verses. Number one, he comes as a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap why for those who are believers he's going to come refining 
There's some stuff in your life, there's some stuff in my life that still isn't right. He's got to wash us up. Now, I don't know about you, one of these is a little bit more severe than the other. I've, I've done some stuff with uh, laundry soap before and scrubbed some things clean. Um, been very infrequent that I've actually thrown something in the fire to burn up what didn't belong there, to take that dross off, and it says he's refining that silver and gold to make us more pure. For those who are the believers, um, I heard it quoted this way. This is pretty neat. Um, in the fuller soap, the original cloth doesn't have to worry, does it? Just the dirt. In the refiner's fire, the silver and the gold don't have to worry. It's just all the extra stuff that doesn't belong there. That's you and me, guys. He's coming again, second time. He says, listen, I'm coming as a refiner's fire, as a fuller's soap. And I, as much as I dread that day because I know I'm not what I should be, the same time when I get graduated to the other side, all the impurities and everything that God has promised are gone. I get my brand new body and live in a perfect heaven forever. And it'd be nice. You know, there's a lot of things I get tired of. I get tired of having glasses and a bad back and getting old and having a memory. What was I talking about? But you know what? To get rid of this sin nature. Man, what a joy that's going to be. But he also says, I'm coming to unbelievers swift with my judgment for those who do not fear me. Did you catch that last little bit? We read it together. But it says, um, I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers, against false swearers, against those who oppress the hireling and their wages and widows and the fatherless and turn aside strangers from his right and fear not God. This is all about a message. God came to fix our sin. Hallelujah. He's coming again. And if you've allowed Jesus to deal with your sin, you can rejoice in that time he's coming. If not, he's coming to judge. And his judgment will be swift. Keep going. This is why the message of God is so important. No one needs to be judged for their sin. Because you know what? Jesus already paid the price. I live in that every day. I rejoice in that every day. I'm a sinner who screws up every single day of the year. I'm lucky if I can get through hours. But God's already taken my punishment. And if you would just ask Jesus to be your Savior, that's the message. The one that you delighted in has come. But you know what? Uh, He doesn't force anybody. There is a whole world full of people who need to hear this message and realize you got two choices. You can receive it gladly because God has always reached out with this message. He has always planned it. Even though there's none righteous and none that seeketh after God, God has laid it out clear that he's dealt with this issue. If you just take this message to heart. But sin must be judged. The verse that fits this. Whom God has sent forth, Jesus, to be a propitiation through faith in his blood 
to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sin that are past through the forbearance of God. Man, he is that satisfactory offering, that one who shed his blood to take care of the sins of mankind. That is the message. It hasn't changed. But notice something here. This is the part where a lot of times God is slighted by those people in the world. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of them. This is the point. This is the two sides of that same coin. Sin will be judged because God is just. And God cannot put up with sin. But as much as God is just, he is also the justifier. He is the one who fixes the sin problem. This is both of his comings. This is the message that hasn't changed. God came to deal with our sin, and he's coming to judge the sin. He is just and the justifier. He is Savior, but he is also the one who will deal with the penalty of sin in each and every one of our lives. That's the message. That's what God reminds us of and reminds his children of Israel here of. And it hasn't changed. I know that living in these times is hard. And I'm not going to whine like it's worse than it's ever been because it's always been hard. Look back in history. We may not have it the same way, but it's always been tough. But there's a message that we need to be familiar with. It needs to guide our every step. That God has come with the answer to man's sin. He has always had a message. He has always had a messenger. Now, I know about you, but how many of us have that same message that we need to deliver? Every one of us? See, one of the differences in the kind of the Old Testament and New Testament is God tells every single believer in the church age, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel that every single one of us have this message to deliver. Jesus came to fix our sin, and he's coming again to deal with sin that hasn't been fixed. Yes? Last little bit. Remember, God's promises are forever. This is the last verse in the passage we just read in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. It says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Hallelujah. Because if it was Adam and Eve, if it's Malachi right here, where he says, I've got a message, that one that you've been waiting for shall come, God doesn't change. Whether it's back then to the children of Israel, right now in the church age, God's message is still the same. My, one of my favorite verses anymore. I love this verse. This is the reason I can function as a believer. Honestly. Titus chapter 1, verse 2. The only way I can make it through a single day in service for God is because I believe that God never breaks a promise. That if I would follow his word like he's spoken, and Faith, you sang that song, man, the end of that chorus talks about the things we read and heard. Now, help me to go out and do those things. If we would just do what God asks us to do, he doesn't break a promise. The reason I'm going to heaven and I die is because he doesn't break a promise. The reason I have, can have joy and have it because he doesn't break a promise. He never 
changes, and his message has never changed. So with all that, the load of information to remind us we have a message to deliver to this world. God who has never changed from the very beginning, before the world began, he promised us eternal life. He said his son would come. He promised all these messianic prophecies. And here in Malachi, reminded again, hang in there, guys. That one you delight, he is coming. He will bring salvation. But he's also coming, he will bring judgment. We've got a message to deliver to this world. God's never hid himself. He has always communicated. He has always reached out to mankind. Let's go out there and remind people of this. Last little bit. Have you heard God's message? Now, I look across the crowd here, and I think pretty much all of us have a testimony, but this is being recorded, and I just got to ask, have you had your sins? Has the blood of Jesus Christ, that propitiation, that satisfying sacrifice, have you received him in your life and gotten that forgiveness of sin? Because all sin will be judged. If it's judged on Jesus on the cross as our Savior, or if you decide not to reject that and you want to deal with your own sin, God is going to judge you too. For you and I who have done that, are you sharing God's message? Here he says, listen, I know you're getting tired of walking every day in this, but I'm sending a messenger. Well, we know all through the New Testament it commands us to go out and take the word of God, take this message to the world. It hasn't changed. God doesn't change. He's promised it before the world began. Please, please, please. With all the sad things you can hear about out in this world, what a great message. Now, I want to end with this thought. When you and I go out, you say, all right, I guess I've got to go into my neighborhood and tell everybody, your sin's going to send you to hell. Okay, and there may be a truth to that. There is a truth to that if they didn't receive Jesus as Savior. But please remember how God, in this, very, in this book where he's very critical of the people, and has nine different problems that said, man, you guys are falling short. Please remember how God started out this book. The second verse of Malachi says, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Even in God's criticism of their behaviors, he starts out reminding him, reminding these people what this is all about. He says, I've loved you. And that's why he's done everything. And so when we go out into this world with this message about the sins being forgiven and judgment coming, the main message is God loves you. Go out and find somebody who needs to hear this message and deliver it.